Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, as we come around the Word today, we're coming to the second part in our wisdom series dealing with work and business. And I'm so excited to be teaching on this again because of the response we got last week. But we're going to pray now and we're going to commit our time to the Lord. Father, I pray for the prosperity of South Africa. I pray that you'd bless our nation, that work and business would thrive so that our people can be uplifted. And we pray for wisdom to build South Africa in work and business under God, not just with human ideas. Speak through the word today, encourage us, direct us, cause our hearts to be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I kick off today, I read an article that the BBC put out, and they spoke about a Mr. Wow, who comes from Wenzhou in China. He is the owner of the Botelli Valve Group, and this is what he said. He said he would like to see all his staff convert to Christianity. He says when staff do convert to Christianity, their attitude towards their work is transformed. And he says this, he says, if you're a Christian, you're more honest. Uh, he says the people who aren't Christians aren't responsible. I think it's very different. If everybody became a Christian, it would have a very big impact and it would help the development of our factory. And Mr. Wow was asked how religion was a factor when he was recruiting new staff. And this is what he says. Of course I would choose the Christians first. Definitely, he says. And they say this man and this factory is not just a one-off. The Chinese government is now starting to examine factories where the majority of the workers are Christians because they're noticing that when a business is run by a Christian entrepreneur, the Chinese government sees it as being prosperous, well-run, less troublesome, and it is a really an asset to the country. How many of you know that those who are Christians who go to work and do business should stand out and be sought after? Now, before we get into the message today and get to the actual content, I want to say a few things by way of introduction about wisdom in general. Last week, I spoke about our beliefs. Our beliefs are shaped by Bible wisdom. If we embrace worldly wisdom or human wisdom, then our thinking about work and business will be along those lines. But we need to embrace biblical wisdom, then our belief systems will be sound. Today, many belief systems that are being put to the fore are that profit and capital and improving your life and having uh, progress and, and, and making money seem to be unjustified and there's such inequality. How many of you know if you secretly believe something's wrong, you're not going to succeed at it? And so we need to have sound beliefs and we need to know why we go to work. Let me remind you there are four reasons for work. We firstly work for abundance so that we can create more. And some people say, I don't want abundance. That sounds like greed. That sounds like prosperity teaching. No, you need abundance so that you can provide for yourself, your family, and for the poor. It's not the state's responsibility, let me remind you, to provide for you or to provide for the poor. So we need more than enough so that we can provide because if we keep relying on the state, we start to become dependent on the state. And don't forget the Bible teaches that by relying on government, we set ourselves up for that one world government that everyone will rely on instead of relying on God and getting to work and improving and making abundance. So the first goal is abundance. The second goal is that we create order. 
We bring order to our world. We then bring beauty. We improve our environment and reflect God in the order and the beauty. And then we glorify God through work, showing the creativity of God. And there are three kinds of wisdom. I want to keep emphasizing this every time we go through the series. There's the demonic wisdom, which, which is down here, comes from the pit. Then there's human wisdom, which is what we call the, the reasonable or the rational level. And then there's divine wisdom. And what the danger is, is demonic wisdom influences human wisdom. We eradicate divine wisdom and we start to live in what's called the flesh because demonic wisdom always tries to draw human wisdom. Think of when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Bible says he fasted and at the end of that period of 40 days, he was hungry. That's an understatement. And then what happened? The devil came with his demonic wisdom and appealed to Jesus on a human wisdom level. And he said to him, you know, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus came back on a divine level with divine wisdom and said, it is written. So divine wisdom always supersedes human emotion, human appetites, drives, whatever you feel you should do because it's so natural, because the demonic will always attack that. He, he resorted to it is written. It is written. If you study Luke chapter 4, you will see where he counted it. And Solomon, the wisest man in the world next to Jesus, was tempted in the same way with human wisdom influenced by the demonic. The scripture says in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon loved many foreign women and uh, besides Pharaoh's daughter, and it goes on to talk about how they turned his heart away from God. And it's interesting, the word Pharaoh in the Hebrew letters stands for back of the neck. And it's, Pharaoh is always a type of human wisdom, human political systems. Uh, in fact, those who enslave, back of the neck, defeat. And whenever you listen to human wisdom like Solomon did, you go into a place of defeat instead of listening to divine wisdom and moving with God. And so today I want to have a look again at this topic of wisdom, especially in work and business. But we'll open with a text that we'll use as our basic guideline today. Proverbs 3 and verse 13. And uh, the Bible here promises that when we find wisdom, because it's not automatic, when we find wisdom, then there's so many benefits that come with divine wisdom. Solomon says, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. He's using an analogy of finance, money, income. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Apparently it's not wrong. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. So in other words, when you find and gain and embrace God's wisdom, blessing, prosperity, increase, peace, and, and favor in business should be yours in your life. So let's look at five things about work and business that we need to apply wisdom in. The first bit of wisdom we need in work and business is realize that life owes you nothing. The Bible teaches us that life owes us nothing and that everything we gain in life is to be worked for. 
The attitude of a Christian is one where life doesn't owe me anything. And we've got to adopt this, otherwise we will be very unhappy people and we will lack motivation in our work. People who feel life owes them something are unhappy and unmotivated and generally don't work hard. Those who believe life doesn't owe them anything, give it their best and seek to improve their lives. Now there's a motivational speaker and author from Zambia by the name of Dr. Moses Simuyemba and uh, he says this, he says it's very common for people to feel that those in authority or those that are successful owe them something. The catchphrase on television these days seems to be the government should do something about it. He says, I may be compelled to help you by my spiritual convictions and beliefs, but even that would be up to me, not up to you. Talking about people who feel that those who are successful owe them something. He goes on to say, the fact is that apart from very few, very specific cases, no one is entitled to anything from anyone. It's so true that people at work and in business feel, I deserve that. I deserve more money. I've had it so hard. And when you have entitlement, you start to feel badly done by, you become unhappy, and you don't generally give your best. You know, you don't deserve anything that you don't work for. But somehow we're being told that through various means, social media. And the trend across the world today is that people are entitled to much more than they work for. Professor Walter Williams is an economist and a commentator and academic. He says, let me offer you my definition of social justice. I keep what I earn and you keep what you earn. Do you disagree? Well, then tell me how much of what I earn belongs to you and why? Very good point. You see, we talk about social justice and what we do is we create sympathy for those that are in low paid jobs. Shame, they earn so little, you earn so much. Don't complain when a low paid worker takes something of yours. When somebody who works in your home steals from you, you shouldn't complain because look what you've got and shame, look what they've got. Now that sounds very sympathetic and very understanding, but actually when you take something that isn't yours, you're stealing and you're stealing because you feel entitled. And stealing and entitlement is actually a sin. It's not a oh shame attitude. We see this when we read the story of David and Bathsheba. David took Bathsheba when she wasn't his because he felt entitled to her. Let me read to you what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 4. And here we see a rich king who felt entitled, not just someone poor on a low wage. David sent messengers to get her and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. You see, what we realize here, he didn't ask her permission. He felt that he deserved to be able to just take what wasn't his and sleep with her. And whenever you get an entitlement or life owes you something, you will take what's not yours. And David here took someone else's wife, felt entitled. Well, you know, why did he do it? If you think about it, why did he have so much? Well, he had worked so hard. He had fought giants. He had struggled to establish the kingdom. So he deserved the benefits of a king. But I'll tell you what, even if you're a king, life owes you nothing. And you don't deserve to take what's not yours. I believe in South Africa, we've got a real problem with corruption. We've got a problem with labor. People no longer want to work hard because they feel they deserve more. And if you constantly are told that you're entitled, you eventually will take 
what is not yours. And if you're taking from your employer, you're not adding value, you're not building the business, you're not building the nation, and you're actually destroying it. That's why as Christians, we don't live by that value system. I love this author. He's quite a character and quite a radical, but he really inspires me in the area of work and business. And I've read a number of books by him. One of his books, it's called Work for a Reason. He, 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 by the way, he's known as the pit bull of personal development because he really goes at you. And uh, he was talking in his book about how his father worked for a company for 47 years. Something fell on him at work. He was off sick for a while, came back, didn't sue the company, and worked there and gave his very best. And he says that's the work ethic that he's inherited. His father never expected anything. And he talks about the suing culture in America where if there's just any little thing you don't like, you sue. And I love what he says in his book. He says the company doesn't exist to make you happy. They exist to make a profit so they can pay you, so you can serve the customer well, so the customer will keep paying for the company's services, so they can remain profitable, so they can pay you again. He says that's the cycle of business. Then he gives this bit of advice. Do your best to facilitate that cycle and don't bog it down with your sniveling. Quite a challenge. You know, some people, they hate their jobs, and you know what, you don't get paid to love your job. You get paid to do your job. And whether you love your job or hate your job, that's your attitude. You've got to determine that loving your job is not an emotion, it's a decision. And if you feel, you know what, I don't deserve anything, I'm grateful for having a job. The Bible says do everything without complaining. If you're grateful for your job and you give your best, you'd be amazed at what God can do and how working and business completely changes. Such a pity that people haven't learned to love their jobs. Number two, the second bit of wisdom in work and business is this. Invest yourself in your work while others play. Have you noticed that most people want to play, find ways out of work? Have you noticed how many people fool around at work while they're playing? You need to do it differently. You need to be a person who says, I'm a believer. I'm working as unto the Lord. I don't work just for a boss. I work for the Lord. And I believe I'm here to create abundance. I'm here to bring order, beauty. I'm here to glorify God. And so you invest in the job. You invest in your work. You develop your life. And you know, every one of us has the same amount of time in a day, in a month, and in a year. What we do with it is all important as to how our lives will turn out. And I want to encourage you to invest in yourself. Don't just go to university and get a degree. Keep investing in yourself and developing your life because we are not just going to work to fill a space. A lot of people who are at work, just, they just occupy a space. No, you need to improve yourself. Jim Rohn, the great business teacher, says you can have more than you've got because you can become more than you are. You see, if you want more, you've got to become more, and it really is up to you. And so many people feel, man, I deserve more. Well, if you deserve more, then invest in yourself and become more, because the more valuable you become, the better the return will be in your life. Solomon in Proverbs reminds us of the rewards of investing in ourselves and investing in hard work. In Proverbs 12, he says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. Wise words bring many benefits and hard work brings rewards. Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. And so here he's giving biblical advice for food, for rewards, 
even for leadership. You probably say to me, well, you don't know who I work for. The boss I work for doesn't acknowledge me. They treat me like dirt. Well, God sees and hard work, when you invest in it, and when you give your best, God's watching because God ordained it, and God always makes sure, no matter who your boss is, that you will be rewarded. Remember the story of Joseph, both in Potiphar's house and in prison. He invested his life there, and God made sure that he prospered. That's the wisdom of the Bible. And bear in mind, it takes a lifetime to achieve success. Some people see others who are doing well, and all they do is complain. No, you need to admire and look for their secrets. I read a wonderful book by Robert Iger. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime. He's the CEO of Disney and has been incredibly successful, earns a mega salary, which I'll tell you in a moment. But when you track back in the book his life story from the beginning, he says this, that he spent weekends and holidays from eighth grade shoveling snow for money, babysitting, and as a stock boy in a hardware store. At 15, he got a job as a janitor of a school, and then when he was at college, or at university as we call it, he spent nearly every weekend making pizza at Pizza Hut. Well, today he's the CEO, and the salary he earns is massive, $3 million a year. A rough calculation will bring you almost to 52 million rand a year. One million rand a week. Now, most people would say, oh, that is such inequality. But he worked and invested while others were playing. And today he's the CEO and deserves what he has. And he should be celebrated because he invested in hard work. He shouldn't be envied. He should be admired. You see, this is the principle. The more you invest in yourself, the better you become, the better your labor, the more value you become, the more sought after. Doctors, surgeons, IT specialists command more money because they've invested knowledge and, and skills and that's why they're sought after. If you study 1 Kings, you'll see Solomon when he was building the temple in 1 Kings chapter 5. He sought for people and they could command their own wages because of their skills, because of what they'd invested in their lives. Notice this. Solomon says, now therefore command that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me and my servants will join your servants and I will pay you for your servants such wages as you set for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. The Bible is clear here that when you have certain skills that you've invested to develop yourself, you can actually set your wages. But if you haven't invested in yourself, you can't set your wages. You can't just demand wages. I, I think I deserve more. You should pay me more. No, invest in your work while others are playing and raise your value. And the more you train yourself and develop yourself after you've been to university or after you've done formal studies, the greater the chance of success in work and in business. You see, we have a basic value and it's up to us to increase that value. Think of a bar of steel, a raw bar of steel. Doesn't do much, it's probably worth around 150 rand as it is. But if you take that bar of steel and you turn it into horseshoes, suddenly the horseshoes are worth about 350 rand. So you've doubled, more than doubled the value 
by converting it and investing in it. If you take that same bar of steel and you turn it into needles, you can turn it into 6,200 rands worth of needles. That same bar of steel by being converted and invested in becomes needles. But if you turn it into little springs that go inside expensive watches, they can be up to, that same bar of steel can be up to 4 million in value because of what it's become. You see, it's not up to someone else to invest in you. It's not up to your boss to turn you into something. It's up to you to invest in yourself while others are playing. It's what you make of yourself, not what you expect the company to make of you. That's the wisdom the Bible teaches on business and work. Number three, the third bit of wisdom today is develop skill, not just knowledge, and show results. You see, too many people have knowledge. They feel, I've got an education. Now you've got to give me a job. No, no, that's just the entry point. You've got to learn how to do the job. You can't just have information and knowledge in theory. You've now got to develop skill and your boss wants you to produce results. Many people just go to work and occupy a space. I'm here, you better pay me. Another year's gone by, pay me some more. No, you need to produce skills and results. The company pays you for results. A business is looking for Results, and a lot of people don't understand that. They almost feel like they've got a right to just go to work and be there. No, we've got to produce results. Jim Rohn said this. He said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Develop your skills, develop your ability. Start to become a standout person because then you'll be sought after. If we go back to 1 Kings, we see after Solomon built the temple, he now builds his palace. Who's he looking for to build the palace? Not just people with knowledge. He's looking for people with skills who've developed themselves and who can produce results for him. 1 Kings 7 and verse 13. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Urim. He headhunted this man. And it says whose mother was a widow, came from a poor family the tribe of Naphtali, and whose father was from Tyre and a skilled craftsman in bronze. So here's this young man, notice this, he's from a poor family, but he's got skill. He's lost his father, so he's at a disadvantage, but I love what it says. It says, Urim was filled with wisdom. Notice the order, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Not knowledge first, wisdom, the application of what he knew he was skilled in because he had developed his life, not just had information about the craft. And here he was headhunted and he was brought into the palace. And here this poor man probably ended up with great wealth because of the skill that he actually developed. You see, business is not a place where you just go to pass the time and get a salary as if it's your right. You have to go there and develop your skills if you want to move up in life. Newton Minow is the former chairman of the US Federal Communications Commission in the United States, and he said this. He said, we've gotten to the point where everybody's got a right and nobody's got a responsibility. And I've got a right to a job. I deserve to be paid. Why aren't you paying me more? But no one's developing skill, and people aren't adding value and building the business. Notice, Urim was sought by Solomon and was brought because of his skill. You know, in South Africa, we don't have skills. We're losing skills and we're not developing people because people just go to work and they just don't work. Recently, we've seen that ESCOM is in serious trouble and we're back to load shedding on an infrequent basis. And in order to solve the problem, guess what they did? They didn't just go to the workers at ESCOM. They had to bring in experts with skill, unusual skills from Germany 
in order to fix the problem. Like Urim, they were sought after because skills are always sought after when you have to fix a problem. To get back to Robert Iger, who wrote the book, The Ride of a Lifetime, in the book he talks about Gyro, who is a sushi chef. And there's a documentary being made about him called Gyro Dreams of Sushi. And you know what he talks about in the book? He says this man is 80 years old, but he's still busy perfecting his craft. He wants the temperature of the rice to be just right and the temperature of the sushi. And at 80 years old, he's still trying to improve. And that's what we need to do if we want to be successful at work and business. Keep excelling, keep improving. He also mentions another man that he worked for at ABC Network. It's ABC's well-known today in America. It's one of the big networks. But when Robert Iger worked there, he worked with a man called Rune Arledge. And he said the network was way behind the others. But what Rune Arledge did is he developed his skills. He, he sought how he could improve and deliver results. And so he kept changing camera angles at sporting events. He did what we, what we now consider normal, the slow replay. And, and he developed all that. And that catapulted ABC into being one of the major sport networks in the world. It took skill. It didn't just take going to work and occupying a space. Thomas Sowell, on attitudes in the workplace in his book, Poverty and Politics, says this. He says, differences in habits and attitude are differences in human capital. In other words, what you get back. Just as much as differences in knowledge and skills, and such differences create differences in economic outcomes. So as you can see, it's, it's the difference in attitude that's going to make the difference in the workplace. And what we really need in South Africa is a difference in results. Work, the workplace is not where you just fill a space. You work to produce results. And your boss has employed you because he wants results. The company has employed you because they want results. And the customer wants results. But most of all, God wants results. Number four. The fourth thing that we need to do if we're going to be wise in work and business is develop an abundance mindset. This term abundance mindset comes from Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he talks about an abundance mindset where you believe there's enough for everybody. You know that that's a Christian principle. God has enough for everybody. If someone's wealthy, it doesn't mean they've got your share. There's enough for you too if you develop your skills and you're productive and you don't believe life owes you something, but you trust God. See, an abundance mindset is different to a scarcity mindset. A scarcity mindset says there's only so much money in the world and if those rich people have got it, that means I don't have it. And that's actually not true. That's not spiritual, it's not biblical, and it's not a spirit of faith. And what ends up happening is we end up attacking people with money, envying them and not believing there's enough for us. If you just work and trust God and you believe that wealth is a river, it's not a pond, it's a river, it'll keep flowing towards you if you work in faith and if you trust God. And it's so important that we develop this spirit. A scarcity mindset reflects fear and it reflects a lack of faith. And a scarcity mindset says this, we need a system to control people because they've got too much. 
an abundance mindset says this. It says there's enough for everyone if we just work hard and we give our best and we trust God. It's such a predominant thing today in our world. People believe there's not enough fish in the sea. There's not enough oxygen in the air. There's not enough resources in the earth. We won't have enough oil. And there's fear mongering about the climate. Why? It's all because there's not enough. We have a scarcity mindset. But God created this earth. He's put everything on it. And he promises us to bless us with abundance. Notice these verses quickly, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. God is able to make abundance flow to you, no matter the condition of the earth, no matter what people are saying, no matter the system, if you work and honor him and give your best. Philippians chapter four and verse 19, notice the same wording, and with all his abundant wealth, through Christ Jesus, my God will supply all your needs. It doesn't say unless there's COVID, then he can't, no. God is able to provide abundance for us. We need to have an abundance mindset and believe even in recession, in famine, in a year where there's COVID, we can still keep trusting him. When we go back to work fully again and we go, we go out of lockdown, we can expect blessing. It's not the system that makes blessing. It's already been put in place by the God of blessing and we need to work hard and reap it. Number five, the fifth thing today as we come to a close is I really want you to get this. Be a producer, not a reducer. You know, some people go to the workplace and they reduce. They, they cut the profits of the company or business. They reduce the morale of the people and they take away. They are subtractors instead of adders. You need to go to the workplace to add your labor, make a profit, improve the environment, make sure people do their very best and are inspired to work. Be a producer, not a reducer. In other words, be productive, not just be an occupier. Walter E. Williams wrote a wonderful book about finance and, e and economics. And I want to focus on the person he spoke about because he mentions numerous people in the book. But he talks about a man called Junius George Groves. Fascinating story. And he says, this man was born a slave in Kentucky and he went to Kansas in 1879. Trying to remember that date, 18. 79. And he worked on a farm for 40 cents a day. I mean, that is absolutely meager. But in five years, by 1884, from 40 cents a day on, uh, in those impoverished conditions, he had, a, he had amassed an amount of $2,200. Six years later, he'd improved the amount of money he had saved working 40 cents a day, and he bought 500 acres of land. Can you believe it? Valued at $100,000. Now, in the 1800s, that was worth, I don't know how many rand, but millions of rand. But now notice this. He became a farmer from having worked for 40 cents a day as a laborer who was once a slave. He now became an entrepreneur and became one of the wealthiest black Americans of the 19th and 20th century. Listen to this. By 1902, which is just 12 years later, he optimized potato growth methods. This is what it says, out producing anyone else in the world. Not just in America, in the world. And it says, and he produced a greater than average yield of potatoes per acre than anyone else in the world. He was so successful that he became the largest producer of potatoes and was known as the potato king 
of the world. Once a slave, 40 cents a day, now the potato king of the world. What did it? Production. He was a producer, not a reducer. He didn't think life owed him anything. He just looked for opportunity, got busy, and through pr productivity, he became the rich and successful person that he was. You know, we desperately need to be productive in South Africa. And it's up to us as individuals, especially as believers, to bring wisdom, the wisdom of God, into the workplace. I recently read a really good book called The Rise or Fall of South Africa by Franz Cournier. And in the book, he talks about the growth and productivity of our country. He makes some very sound observations. And he says that we're at the lowest growth and productivity that we've ever been at since 1994. You see, at that time, we were a pariah state. We were shunned by the world. We had a very low growth rate because of apartheid. But now, he says, what's the reason for it now? We should be thriving. Other countries are booming. We're seeing a 1% growth rate. Others are seeing up to 5%. What's the problem? And he mentions two things. He says, in a 2019 competitiveness report by the World Economic Forum, South Africa ranked 139th out of 141 countries, third last when it comes to cooperation in labor-employer relations. We don't get along well with our bosses and bosses don't get along with workers and primarily it's because we don't produce. Now he goes on to say here that in another study they, they found that South Africa was 83rd out of 141 countries in the relationship between pay and productivity. So directly related to our relationship with, with employee-employee is pay and productivity. And so we're not good at giving our best for the money we get. What we produce is often far less than what we paid to produce. And he says that's why the country is not growing. That's why we're not moving forward. And we're protecting people and we're turning the employer into the enemy. And the labor relations that we have in place, these protection acts, it's resulted in increased unemployment rather than people finding work. And so way back in 1994, uh, 1.6 million black Africans were unemployed. But now that figure has risen to 5.9 million. It's a 270% increase he says, and South Africa has one of the highest unemployment rates in the world at 29%. We definitely need to produce more. Now, interestingly enough, to get back to ESCOM, and I'll be done in a moment, ESCOM is in a serious predicament right now, and uh, the electricity prices have gone up 500% over the last few years, and it's got a debt of 450 billion, and the World Bank says that a utility that size should, this is the figure they say, should have 14,250 employees. But ESCOM's actually got 30,000. It's 450 billion in debt, and electricity prices still are going to continue to go up. You see, when there's no productivity, there's no profit, there's no progress, and there's no blessing. And we have to become producers not reducers, if we're going to take our nation forward. And Christians should be producers. They have a biblical worldview. They give of their best to God, and they bring something to work each day and should be sought after like those companies in China. The future is not going to be what is given to you. The future is going to determine what you take from life and what you extract and build into the economy. You know, as I close today, what I want to just remind you of is they say cows give milk, 
But cows don't give milk. You have to extract milk from cows. In fact, they'll fight you, they'll kick you. You've got to go in the mud and the sleet and the rain and you've got to milk them and it's arduous labor, but eventually you get milk from cows. Cows don't give milk. They say bees give honey, no bees don't. Bees sting you when you try and get their honey. You have to go, you have to wear protective clothing and you have to extract the honey from the bees. And life is exactly the same. There's work opportunities, but they're challenging, they're difficult. Money doesn't come easy but it's there. And if as a Christian, you come along as a believer and you bring a godly wisdom and a godly spirit, we can turn this into a fantastic country and we can all prosper together. I hope that's given you just a little bit of biblical wisdom today in the light of what we're facing in our nation. Now, as we close today, I really believe that South Africa is a place full of hope, full of opportunity, full of prosperity. I believe we can really take our country forward. We've got brilliant natural resources. But the key thing, as always, is to put God first. To get God's wisdom, not just human wisdom and untried ideologies, but God's wisdom that's built our world with a Judeo-Christian ethic. And I want to say to you today, you need to put God first in your life. Don't put politics first or ideologies first or philosophies first or your emotions first. Put God and his wisdom first. And when you do, you'll see favor in your life. I want to ask you today, is God first in your life? Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you go to work with a bad attitude. Maybe you're expecting too much. No, go with an attitude that says, I'm a believer and I'm going to put God first in the workplace. And I'm going to be a producer and I'm going to invest in myself and I'm not going to expect anything from anyone except God. I tell you what, that attitude will bring blessing into your life. As I close today, I want to ask you, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? You see, it's not about wisdom and information. It's about knowing the source of the wisdom. And the Bible says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Question is, do you know him today? Because when you get to know him, your heart changes. You don't just have a shift. You have a transformation. He comes to change the heart from selfishness and flesh to a heart that longs after God and thinks like God. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 